Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one bestseller, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of the medical merry-go-round? Are you looking for a potential solution to your health problem? Be sure and listen to our podcast, The Code Breaker. Welcome in on a Wednesday. It's the Rebel Report. I'm Michael Borky. Thank you for making the podcast a part of your day. Brought to you by LB's just across from Kroger on University Avenue there in Oxford. The best place in Mississippi to buy your meat or get a daily lunch special. Go by and see Greg. Tell him we sent you. That is LB's just across from Kroger on University Avenue. And uh, I am Michael Borky and I'm an idiot. Uh, going to spend the next few weeks on the disabled list because I don't know how to run properly, as it turns out. For the second time in a year, I have hurt myself on my daily run by just like not knowing how to do it, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, if you follow me on Twitter, you probably saw a picture. I took that like 30 seconds after it happened. I've got a cast on my leg right now because I don't know how to run around trash cans without apparently stepping on a curb in a way that makes me roll off the curb and uh, sprain my ankle into different places after it was dislocated. So that's what I'm dealing with today. Um, forgive me for being a little down because as I sit here, it's still just killing me. So bear with me. I'm going to try to bring you the same energy I always do, even though it's going to be tough. So thank you for making the podcast again, a part of your day. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Borky, if you'd like, and let's get started. We do have more normalcy returning to the sports world, although you don't really get NBA basketball uh, in July and August, but still, it, things are starting to get back to normal. I was talking to someone over the weekend, and I think I referenced this on Monday, but still, it bears repeating that we are seemingly on the back end of uh, life without sports. Uh, I know Major League Baseball had their deal this week, and that was um, actually handled pretty well by Major League Baseball. I know that's weird to say, considering how people think of leadership there, um, something happened, something went wrong in Miami. Somebody screwed up and did the wrong thing in Miami. But the way it was handled from the, the league front office, so the team should not have played after positive tests. Like, absolutely not. But not panicking. Postponing some games, maybe canceling some games, but the rest of the league pushing on and continuing to play was the right call. Now, maybe there were some missteps in the protocols that allowed what happened to Miami to happen. They shouldn't have played after the initial round of a couple of positives, maybe. I mean, that's the criticism they're getting today. That's a very Monday morning quarterback. But you do have to appreciate the, the front office of the league not panicking. And they're going to get ripped no matter what because that's just kind of the common thing with baseball. And they deserve it a lot. Like blacking out games when nobody is actually allowed to attend them doesn't make any sense. The negotiations this summer, or lack thereof, because none of them were done in good faith, uh, were also, it's an embarrassment. So it's hard to praise a front office that, you know, has gone through what they've gone through over the last, uh, I don't know, year or so. And the Astros penalties uh, to some people, uh, yours truly included, uh, were simply not enough. So Major League Baseball's leadership is, is not good overall. However, not panicking, not shutting things down, testing everyone, understanding that this was going to happen. This was downright expected. If you did not expect this, then then what are you even trying to do? 
they didn't flinch. They didn't panic. They had to postpone some stuff. They have to move some things around. But otherwise, baseball is still going on. And you have to give credit for the leaders in charge. Uh, because if you didn't know better, Twitter would tell you that it has to shut down. And, oh, it's over for baseball. And uh, No, it's not. And it didn't have to be. And they made the right call. So we've still got baseball pushing forward. And now we got NBA basketball starting tomorrow, which I'm really excited about. And I won't spend any time on this because I know you want to hear about Ole Miss and uh, the team preview part two. So I promise you on Monday we'd get to the Athletics Ole Miss preview. Today, hopefully we'll have Phil Steele's magazine at my doorstep by Friday to do his. If it's not here, I'll go to Barnes & Noble or something and and try to find it there. Um, But I tell people this on the radio all the time. I know Mississippi's not an NBA state, and that's okay to each their own. You love baseball here, and especially college baseball, so instead of watching NBA basketball like other states do in March and April and May, you're, you're consumed with baseball and college baseball, to each their own. It's not an NBA state around here. A lot of people don't even like it, but I say this all the time. Right now, if you're in North Mississippi, a hop, skip, and a jump to Memphis— or if you're in Jackson South, a hop, skip, and a jump to New Orleans, and you have two transcendent stars that are just getting their career started in both of those places. If you're going to jump onto a bandwagon in the NBA, you have regional ties, and now's the time to do it. Because John Morant is special, clearly, and Zion Williamson is the most transcendent star in the sport since LeBron James entered the league almost two decades ago. And they're, they both play for franchises that don't have any kind of history of traditional success. So people can't call you a bandwagon for jumping on the Memphis Grizzlies or the New Orleans Pelicans right now. In 19 seasons, the Pelicans have won two playoff series. Okay, So you're not jumping on any kind of bandwagon. But as the NBA starts tomorrow, and as they go through these eight games and enter the playoffs, you've got local ties, local enough local-ish, ties to two guys that are elite-level stars and players already because what Zion did in 19 games is unheard of, and John Morant's basically been doing it all season long. He's exceptional. They are basically at your doorstep. If there was ever a time to get into it and you haven't done it, now's a perfect time to do it. Young stars, elite-level stars, at places that don't traditionally win, with young rosters that, that are really talented in both places, exciting basketball, good brands of basketball to watch, enjoyable basketball to watch, unlike the Houston Rockets, for example. Never be a Rockets fan with the way they play. I know Harden's great, but my God, they're painful. Um, you've got young stars, non-traditional powers, small markets, so you got the underdog mentality, good young rosters, good coaches, good front office structure right now, Things are looking up for teams that are right by your doorstep. If you're ever going to get into the league, now's the time to do it. I know, again, I know it's not really an NBA state here. And uh, a lot of people, uh, they have expressed to me many times, don't like um, the social, uh, political angles that that they are taking. And and, uh, look, I understand that. I do. I'm I'm not going to tell you that, that you're wrong for not liking Um, political statements in your sports. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. But if you can look past that, you've got really good basketball coming very close to where I sit in 
probably based on our analytics where you sit right now. Most of you are within driving distance of both of these elite level players and you're catching them on the ground floor before they really take off. And if they improve even just a little, both of them, they're going to be mainstay high-level players in the league for a long time. Now's the time to jump on board. Um, The product's going to be interesting and innovative in the NBA. I'm excited for it to start tomorrow. I would encourage you to give it a shot, especially when it comes to Memphis and New Orleans. Is that fair? I think that's fair. But enough of that. We'll uh, we'll talk Ole Miss football here. As far as scheduling news, I know people are, are waiting... You were told the end of this month there'd kind of be a decision. It sounds like that decision's being pushed back uh, even a little bit further while they try to figure this thing out. They don't seem to be in any kind of a hurry to make a decision. So uh, I've got nothing there. But part two of uh, of our series that we're doing as far as preview outlooks for Ole Miss football, the different publications, what they say, what they get right, what they don't. We did Lindy's. Got Andy Staples' preview today, going to do Phil Steele's tomorrow, and I'll keep doing them as long as they keep churning them out. So here's Andy Staples. This is just a lot of stuff that you guys already know since you're Ole Miss fans, but when it comes to a national publication like this, a high-red publication like this, um, it's still good to see somebody do it the way Andy Staples did it. I mean, he this obviously took a lot of research and a lot of work. They didn't just throw something together and looked at last year's depth chart and who graduated and who left and then wrote some kind of thing out. This clearly took some thought uh, and some good work, which is what you should expect from a guy like him. He's one of the best. Uh, No surprise. So uh, we'll look at what he said. Uh, He looked at the position group, schedule outlook, even though that feels kind of silly to do right now. Uh, And he does actually mention that um, because the schedule is not going to look the same. Uh, but we'll look at all that, because this is just a really thorough, really well-done thing, and uh, you guys like hearing about Ole Miss, so let's talk about Ole Miss. And he starts by mentioning uh, the unique circumstances of year one uh, surrounding Lane Kiffin's time at Ole Miss, and the same thing applies to Sam Pittman, and the same thing applies to Eli Drinkwitz, and the same thing applies to Mike Leach at Mississippi State. This offseason... Uh, could not have gone any worse for a first-year head coach. And it bears repeating that this season, I I don't think you should consider it year one. It's like year .5 or year zero. Because expecting Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, and I would say the same thing for Mike Leach at Mississippi State, uh, without a spring and without a true summer, and potentially getting a schedule with 10 SEC games on it, the expectations have to be altered. And that's not excuse-making, that's reality. Ole Miss was supposed to play games against SEMO, UConn, and Georgia Southern. I mean, those were three games that Ole Miss was going to sleepwalk through. The Baylor game's going to look different. You're definitely not going to have 30,000-plus Ole Miss fans in Houston to make it a bowl game-style atmosphere. Uh, and they're going through the same problems themselves as well. I mean, Ole Miss, just on the schedule, in my opinion, as it was made before, had five wins that you could just put a W next to with Arkansas and Vanderbilt in the three that I just mentioned before. If if the SEC goes to like a 10-game schedule and Ole Miss wins five games, you should throw a freaking parade. Like It's just it's very different with the way the schedule could look. So because of that, I think your expectations for year one need to be altered some. He hasn't had a chance to work all spring and summer with his quarterbacks and implementing his system. That hasn't happened. 
And so because of that, you have to alter your expectations for this season. It's not an excuse. That, that's what has to be done if you're going to be rational about what you expect from Lane Kiffin in year one. Because if it's six wins with a 10 plus one schedule model, it, then, then you're wasting your time. I mean, th- that's an irrational expectation for year one, considering everything that they're up against. And there was something else interesting I wanted to point out, too, before we looked at uh, position groups and stuff. Um, if you remember, back early on before coronavirus happened, uh, Lane Kiffin was asked about, you know, how much do you look at last year? And he said, not too much because I want to see them in person. Uh, different system, different everything. And so looking at last year's film isn't going to be, or wasn't going to be a priority just because they wanted to see what their guys could do for themselves. But that has since changed, obviously. Uh, Kiffin said, quote, Normally you've come back to work and you're going through spring cut-ups. You're looking at tape of high school players, your coach is shot during spring evaluations. We've got none of that. We literally made cut-ups from the year before of returning players, and I watched them so I could learn our roster. Um, that is that is very different than what was initially said, if I'm remembering that correctly. And, um, yeah, just another example of something that has been altered because of coronavirus with the way they evaluate their roster. They were planning on looking at them in the spring and really seeing what they could do under their system and their eyes, but it wasn't a spring. So now they have to look at film from last year. I have a feeling that Lane Kiffin, when he watches film of last year, is constantly shaking his head, but uh, that's a conversation maybe for a different day. So roster analysis, he looked at the position groups, and we'll start with quarterbacks because that's what he started with. He said... He nailed it, really, when it comes to the quarterback position. And so you've got people, and I get the question all the time, is who's going to start? Who's going to start? And I've seen people suggest that, well, John Rice Plumley fits Lane Kiffin's system better than Matt Corral. How do you know? There's no way of knowing for sure because, one, he has tailored the way he's called plays in his offenses to his, his personnel – but we don't know what Lane Kiffin's system is going to look like at Ole Miss yet. So declaring, oh, it's going to be Plumley. He's the returning starter. It's going to be his offense. It's too premature. And credit to Staples here, he says as much. He says, even under normal circumstances, it's doubtful Kiffin would have tipped his hand in the quarterback competition by this point. They're two dramatically different signal callers, and choosing one over the other is essentially a declaration of offensive style that may as well remain a secret for the moment. That is exactly right. I mean, they are two different guys. And look, maybe Plumlee could very very much improve as a passer. And he was not put in a great position of success at all last year uh, as far as throwing the football. There are a couple of throws like in the Egg Bowl, for example, where you thought, well, he can stand in the pocket and throw the ball over the middle. Early in that football game, they never went back to it. Ole Miss's offense last year is a complete mystery. But again, conversation for a different day. He was not put in the best position to succeed. However, you could see it very clearly that a, a ton of work needs to be done with standing in the pocket and, and distributing the football, not bailing, not rushing throws, and simple accuracy. It's just not there, uh, or not where it needs to be. No, he's a supreme athlete. Staples mentions how he's an exceptional athlete. and But the point is, 
unless he can improve from last year's passing numbers as far as accuracy and completion percentage, and now the offense is going to be better tailored to him, but still, unless he can improve as a passer, the better defenses that you're going to see are going to load up the box and dare him to beat you over the top, and until he shows you otherwise, the expectation is he can't do it. So you've either got to prove it, or maybe you have to play the other guy. That's the big question, because... While everybody watched the LSU game last year and watched what Plumlee was able to do in running the football, nobody watched Ole Miss play any other game. I'm convinced of it. Nobody watched them play anybody else. Because if you can say, oh, wow, just put them in the backfield and run the football 75% of the time, look at what they did against LSU. They can beat anybody. Well, okay, look at their games against Auburn last year. What about Mississippi State? What about Texas A&M? That's the point. The better defenses you're going to see unless you can throw the ball over the top. I don't care how athletic your quarterback and your running backs are. If you are no threat over the top, they'll load up the box and they'll shut down the run because they can do it. Auburn can do it. Hell, Mississippi State did it last year. Alabama's going to do it. LSU's going to do it. Texas A&M's going to do it. So you have to be more multidimensional in an offense. Can Plumlee be that guy? You hope so, and we'll see. But if not, maybe that leads... To corral, but you don't know how Kiffin views either guy and how he wants to run his system. But there's no doubt, there's no doubt that Matt Corral is the more polished passer. There's no doubt. Yes, he had some erratic accuracy issues. He rushed throws a lot. But it is very clear that one's arm talent is significantly better than the other's arm talent to this point. Not saying it can't change, but that's the decision they're going to have to make. And Staples laid that out nicely. I mean, making a decision on quarterback is basically deciding your offensive identity. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Plumlee in the backfield with those two running backs would be really hard to defend if there is some threat over the top. And he's still such a good athlete that even if he doesn't win the job, I expect him to get touches, whether it be um, in particular situations at quarterback or just getting him on the field and getting him the football somewhere. He's too electric not to do that. Um, that's simply inarguable. So basically a long-winded way for, for both he and I to say, we don't know, and there's no reason for us to know, and they're not going to tell us until the first game. And even then, it'll still probably be some kind of a mystery. They don't need to tip their hand right now, especially if they find a way to open the season with Baylor You don't need to trot out a quarterback or tell anybody what quarterback you're trotting out there uh, until the opening series of your first game. There's no reason for that. And I know people want more definitive, and I've seen people talking definitive that it's going to be this guy's job or this guy's job. I think that's that's ridiculous. There's no way of knowing. We don't know what Kiffin thinks of either two of those guys. We don't know what kind of improvement, or maybe lack thereof, either one of them has gone through um, we, we just don't know. It's the sexy topic. It's what everybody wants to hear about. But quite frankly, I, I, I'm a little more bullish on both of them than some people nationally are. I, I think they both can win. I, Ole Miss can win games with both kids. They do different things. I think Matt Crowell's arm talent uh, is underappreciated. I think with the right coaching, he can develop into a really nice passer. And he's a pretty good athlete in his own right. And then, of course, on the other side, Plumlee is that elite-level athlete, and with the right coaching, can become a serviceable, if not better, passer. I think both of them have the chance to be good quarterbacks. 
there's a reason they were both recruited by high-level schools, even though Plumlee was asked to do position changes elsewhere. He's an exceptional athlete. Both of them you can win games with. This isn't a... Oh, gosh, I can't remember the three guys. Um, what was it? Zach Stout and, and that. It wasn't picking from nobody that's emerging because they all kind of stink. This is more of, I think you've got two guys that two, that do different things very well and that you can win games with both of them. You just have to make a choice on how you want to win games because they're not the same guy. Unique situation uh, there in Oxford, and I don't think it's a bad one. I really don't. He looks at running backs, and that's the easiest position group to analyze when it comes to Ole Miss. It's just, it is the best running back room maybe ever as far as depth goes at Ole Miss. It's certainly the best running back room from a high-level talent standpoint since Deuce McAllister was on campus. I mean, Jerry and Ely, if he decides to play football over baseball, um, I think is an NFL running back. Snoop Connor showed you some really good things last year. Um, he's physical, and, but he's got some top-end speed, too. I mean, he's he's a big guy, big running back that can still move a little bit. And then when you add Henry Parrish into the mix, suddenly you've got this running back room that is, I mean, as far as depth and talent, maybe Ole Miss's best running back room ever. So it's a short excerpt from from Staples just because it's easy to analyze. Jaron Ely averaged seven yards per carry as a freshman. Stoop Connor was over six yards per carry last year. And they're both young, really young running backs. And they lose Scotty Phillips. And, and I really liked Scotty Phillips. Had a hard time staying healthy. But th- that is a running back room um, that, that has depth, that has talent, that has now, even though they're young guys, has experience, explosiveness. You've got home run hitters. You've got physical guys. This is an elite level running back room. It, there's just no other way to spin it. And so, what was it, Lindy's, that we did a few weeks ago that said old Mrs. running backs were like 12th in the SEC? That's absurd. And uh, the production will bear that out uh, if and when football season does happen this year. Looking at the group of wide receivers, uh, he mentions Elijah Moore, who was basically the only wide receiver last year, according to him. Uh, he was 36% of the team's receptions and 36.5% of the team's receiving yards last year. As you remember, the offense was run left, run right, roll right, throw it to Elijah Moore. And um, that has tainted the way people look at the receiver group. Um, and credit to Andy Staples, again, because this is well-researched. Don't let Ole Miss's production last year, lack thereof at wide receiver, tell you that they don't have any good ones. See, it's a a, a position group that, even under Matt Luke, was recruited very well. The raw talent is there. The production isn't because of what they tried to do offensively last year. They've got to prove it. You've got guys like Mingo and and Dontario Drummond and Miles Battle. They, They need to emerge, but the raw talent is absolutely there. Braylon Sanders was hurt last year. He is a proven, productive wide receiver that position group is underrated. And I understand why, because they haven't produced. But from a talent perspective, I think they're okay there. I think they've got more talent than people nationally give them credit for simply because you haven't seen it because of how they ran the offense last year. I like Jonathan Mingo. I like Braylon Sanders. He's steady, just wasn't healthy last year. 
Miles Battle's a big-bodied wide receiver. They have a couple of freshmen coming in that are that are good. Um, Mark Britt being one, you have the transfer from Florida. Uh, that is a position group that is more talented than their production shows, and therefore they've got to go prove it. But that's why they're not getting much respect nationally because they haven't been able to prove it. But if you're asking if if you're worried about wide receivers, my answer would be no. I think they are talented there. They've just got to go prove it. But the raw talent is absolutely there. And it's different this year as well uh, with the tight end position. Um, the, the Temple transfer, Kenny Yaboa. Yeah, boy. <laughs> Butchered that. Um, uh, the tight end from Temple uh, wasn't used all that much last year, but is a, a really talented uh, big body tight end that people think has NFL potential. And the tight end is really important in Lane Kiffin's offense, far more important than it was uh, last year or in Lago's offense. I mean, the running joke is that uh, Dawson Knox uh, scored his last touchdown in high school and then as a rookie in the NFL. Didn't have a touchdown reception as a tight end at Ole Miss, but it was good enough as a rookie in the NFL to have a touchdown reception. I mean, that's how criminally underused he was while in school. That's not going to be the case anymore under Lane Kiffin, relying on this transfer uh, to have an immediate impact for production. He has used a tight end everywhere. It is going to be an integral part of that offense, and it's not something that you've seen in quite some time at Ole Miss. And looking at the offensive line, um, returning basically four starters. And Staples points out that they returned three starters, but Nick Broker played so much that he should have been considered a fourth returning starter. I said that when it came to Lindy's. That's something that they got wrong. Nick Broker, he is a returning starter in that offense. Calling him anything else is a little disingenuous, so it was good to see that they pointed that out, which is no surprise again with, um, even though it's stuff that you guys already know, but just to see it well-researched and um, accurate is nice. And uh, that was a key point. Nick Broker is a returning starter on that offensive line. Calling him anything other than that uh, is, is just not true. Um, depth is an issue up front. They, they return a lot of starts. I think 60 of them total uh, return a ton of starts. But depth is the issue because once you get past the, the first five, there's a lot of names that haven't uh, had much playing time or names you haven't really heard of, and that's an issue. So Ole Miss needs to develop depth on the offensive line and they need to do it immediately because as you guys know that's a position group that uh, often experiences injuries and missed games and they don't have much experience depth behind the first four on the offensive line and uh, so they need these young guys to be prepared to play basically right away depth is a concern up front on the offensive line but it is an offense that uh, returns a ton of production I mean this is why people uh, one this is why Lane Kiffin took the job over Arkansas uh, because it was a roster that was far more prepared to win today than Arkansas's is. Um, but two, this is why people are so intrigued with Ole Miss, because they returned 100% of their pass yards from last year, 82% of their rushing yards from last year, and 92% of their receiving yards from last year, on top of 60 starts on the offensive line. That is, uh, that, that's why everybody's so intrigued by Ole Miss, is because basically everybody's back on offense. Uh, now, they've got to learn how to stop some people, and more on that in a second. That'll be a bit of a question mark, but that's where it's coming from. The returning production for Ole Miss offensively um, is one that 
can win right now, can be competitive right away, uh, even without the spring, as far as offense goes. They can at least keep their team in a lot of games with how talented and experienced they are on offense. The other side's the question, though. They uh, only return 40% of their tackles on defense. That's not a good number. Uh, 65% of their tackles for loss, but that Sam Williams uh, led the team in that last year. Uh, So we will see on that. Same thing with sacks. 62% of their sacks returned from last year, but Sam Williams led the team in that. And 70% of their interceptions from a year ago. So it's a team that just didn't lose all that much except for on the defensive line. Benito Jones is gone, as you guys know. Josiah Coatney as well. It's a position group that uh, is is thin at best um, and concerning. Uh, don't know what kind of defense DJ Durkin's going to run just yet at Ole Miss. He's given multiple looks at multiple different places, and maybe that's kind of what they'll look at. Uh, I saw a video from a game at Michigan where somebody was breaking down his defense, and they provided multiple different looks. Like you, If you expect them just to roll out a 4-3, and that's what they're going to do with four down defensive linemen and three linebackers, and that's what they're going to do, you're, you're mistaken. That's not what's going to happen here uh, at all. It's going to be a, a very creative defense uh, that provides uh, a plethora of different looks. But the depth is concerning. I mean, here are the names that, that Staples lists uh, as your defensive line. K.D. Hill, Patrick Lucas, Ryder Anderson, Tarikas Tisdale, Hal Northern, Quentin Bivens, and then the transfer from Canada. I mean, that's what you're looking at, really, on the defensive line. Um, he considers Sam Williams and Demon, Count, uh, Demon Clowney linebackers. Uh, so that's more of like a rush defensive end. But there's your defensive line. Uh, those names I just read... Um, they're going to need the Canadian transfer, Tavius Robinson, to, to play right away. They're going to need Demon Clowney to be prepared to play right away um, because depth, it just bodies, is an issue on the defensive line, uh, let alone how, how productive they could possibly be. Looking at linebackers, I think that's uh, also a position group uh, for Ole Miss that's a little underrated. The defense wasn't great last year, much improved, but wasn't great, and linebacker's been a a serious concern for Ole Miss for many, many years. I don't think that's going to be the case this year with Lakia Henry and Momo Sonogo and Jock Jones. I think you've got three really good linebackers, and Staples mentions uh, them all. They've got volume-tackling linebackers is what Staples calls them, and he's exactly right. Um, I think they're pretty good there. We'll see what Sonogo looks like after his injury uh, but he did have 112 tackles in 2018. So if he's fully recovered from that leg injury, you've suddenly on paper got a pretty talented and experienced linebacker group. I think the three of those guys can really play, and uh, it's an interesting room for sure, one that uh, has not gotten a lot of credit, deservedly so, uh, for a long time at Ole Miss, but I think they might uh, surprise some people with how productive they will be at the linebacker spot. We'll see about Jacob Springer, the Navy transfer, and whether or not he'll have uh, his immediate eligibility. Um, Again, if JT Daniels can get immediate eligibility, then everybody that transferred this offseason should get immediate eligibility. I mean, there's no reason, no reason that that should not happen. A California kid at Southern Cal loses his starting job. He's got the Coliseum tattooed on his leg, transfers across the country to Georgia, and gets eligible right away. Everybody should. So um, that should be something to keep an eye on. Same thing with Otis Reese. I mean, he's a safety that transferred from Georgia. 
Um, apparently has not been told whether or not uh, he will play right away, and that's another example. If I were Ole Miss, I'd be raising hell about if if they get denied the the waiver, I'd be raising hell because if JT Daniels gets his waiver, Otis Reese should get his waiver, Jacob Springer should get his ra- waiver. Everybody that transferred this offseason should get one full stop. Undeniable. Uh, the defense backfield at Ole Miss, um, not good last year. Pass coverage was uh, obviously uh, a huge, huge issue. Uh, so Otis Reese's eligibility would be nice uh, to provide some quality, talented depth there. Um, they couldn't cover last year. I mean, they need Jalen Jones to be and Keydron Smith to to be better as long as well as the entire position group. I mean, they need John Haynes and they need AJ Finley and they need Jay Stanley and all of these guys. I mean, it's a it's a position group that got picked on last year. It almost was so much better at stopping the run a year ago, but just got lit up uh, through the air and. I don't know if you've noticed, but the SEC and its offenses has has gotten much better at throwing the football, and um, there's elite wide receivers everywhere. So uh, you're not winning many games uh, with the, the defensive secondary that they rolled out there last year. That's a position group that has to improve and has to improve basically right away. I'm going to skip the schedule analysis simply because we don't know what that's going to look like. Um Man, I'm in a lot of pain. I hope you. I hope this hasn't been terrible. I, I'm struggling through this. Uh, I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I I should be better on Friday. Like I said, it, it's a couple of sprains, but that's all they are. So uh, hopefully, as as the days go on, this gets a little bit easier. But man, I'm struggling right now. So uh, thank you for bearing with me. Um, and, and I'll be better prepared for Friday's show. Uh, his final uh, assessment said this. Anyone who thought Kiffin could waltz into Oxford, wave a wand, or celebrate a touchdown pass before it's thrown. I like that. Uh, and instantly improve Ole Miss hasn't watched the Rebels the past few years. This roster needs to be more complete. Very true. Especially on the defensive side. Depth on the defensive line and then talent in the secondary. Now, there are a lot of intriguing pieces on offense and it will be exciting to see what Kiffin does with those. The style of offense Kiffin wants to run could work either with a Plumlee-led scheme or that uses a lot of quarterback runs or a Corral-led scheme that lets Ely and Connor do most of the damage on the ground. As long as the quarterbacks get more accurate and another reliable receiver or two emerge, Ole Miss could be quite formidable on that side of the ball. Whether anything changes in the win column likely will depend on what Durkin can do with what he inherits on defense. The group clearly wasn't a priority for several years. Um, It's not wrong. Though McIntyre did his best last season, did a great job last season. And it will take a lot of work to make that unit capable of stopping some excellent offenses in the West. If that group does get better under Durkin, optimism should rise quickly. So uh, really good stuff. You can read the entire thing at The Athletic. Like I said, probably not anything that you uh, don't already know. And I I read through this um, earlier and did not find really anything that I disagreed with. I mean, it's thorough. It's well-researched. It's really good. Um, preview number two so far, clearly the best one as far as season outlook and the current assessment of the roster uh, that that team has right now. Um, so really good stuff from Andy Staples. I encourage you to read it, and uh, and thank you for for bearing with me this morning because this uh, this just stinks out loud. So, 
Um, thank you for making the podcast a part of your day. Go buy LBs and see Greg. Um, man. Whew. All right. That's it for me. I got to go. I love you guys. Thank you so much for making the podcast a part of your day. Um, follow me on Twitter at Michael Borky. I'll talk to you again on Friday. And uh, continue to have a great week. A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.